Merry Christmas to everybody. I'm, I'm so glad we didn't cancel service and we got to come together and be with the people of God this morning and celebrate the birth of our Savior. Um, and so it's, it's always a, a privilege and a pleasure uh, to be before you. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm telling y'all this morning, I know preachers normally say, I'm going to say a few words and get out your way. And then we up here for like an hour. But I promise you today, I'm trying to keep this to like 20 minutes. We're going to come, we're going to praise God through, some, through his word, and we're going to get up out of here. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 6, and we're going to read down to verse 15. Um, y'all know I like to, to do things a little crazy, so we're going to read uh, interchanging verses. I'm going to start us off with, with 6. You guys are going to read 7. I'm going to read eight, you know, odds and evens. Y'all with me? All right, I got evens. Y'all got odds. Y'all, what y'all got? Amen. All right, here we go. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That's my verse. <laughs> and, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. Husbands, don't do that. <laughs> she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. I'm going to read verse 14 and 15. The, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. We're going to park right here in verse 15 this morning. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that we get to come together and celebrate what you have done. We enter into this season very grateful with hearts filled with thankfulness because of what this season means to know that your son came into the world and what was accomplished because he came into the world. Had he not come into the world, we would be hopeless. 
we would be lost, we would be separated from you, but because he entered in, because he truly became Emmanuel, God with us, we have hope. And it's that hope that we look forward to today as we open your word. And so God, continue God to fill us with a thankful spirit that this might not be the only time of the year where we look upon the birth of our Savior and rejoice, but that this might be a constant reality for our lives each and every day. And it might be something that we can communicate to others as we share the good news is that our God was far, or we were far from him, but he came near. And he is God with us. This we pray in the name of him, your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 You may be seated. If I could tag our text this morning, it would be this. Down, but not out. Down, but not out. When I grew up, uh, I'm an 80s baby, but I grew up in the 90s. Uh, And so, you know, the 90s decade for me was the best time to be alive. Uh, And I know some of the older saints will probably say the 70s. um, And older saints before that would say the 60s. This current generation probably says the 2000s, which we can all argue against. (laughs) But but during the early 90s, uh, I grew up a huge wrestling fan. You know, WWF, for those that remember. You know, they changed the name WWE because the World Wildlife Foundation had the copyright for it. See, that's wrestling knowledge that some of y'all, some of y'all know. But back in the day, it was WWF. And the, the superstar during this time, the most popular figure in the WWF was none other than Hulk Hogan and his Hulkamaniacs. Now, I, I, I mean, I absolutely love wrestling. You, like, my mom knew that the way to punish me was to take all my wrestling action figures away from me so that I couldn't play with them. Now, as I look back, I realized that all of Hulk Hogan's matches ended the same way. Every single time. Didn't matter how they started or what happened in between the matches, they all ended the same way. Hulk Hogan, being the best, would always come in as the favored champion, uh, expected to win. But somehow, by the end of the match, he was always being beaten up badly. All the time. Like, it always seemed like he was on the edge of defeat. And then, out of nowhere, you know, he would be like, he'd be down on one knee or in a chokehold and they'd be beating him up. You know what I'm talking about, Sheeta. She is, she nodding. <laughs> she, she on it. So, somehow, he'd be getting beat up and then he would get strength from out of nowhere. <laughs> strength from outside of himself. See, some of y'all ain't with me. I said, I said he got strength from outside of himself. And, it, and his help came from an unknown place. And, and, and thank you, Pastor Larry. I got some help in here somewhere, but what used to happen was as he was getting beat up, he would just stop and he would start shaking. A part of me looking on it back on it thinks he was a little Baptist now that I, I, I look back on it. But if you, if my, for my wrestling fans, he would just start shaking like this and they would be beating on him and he would just keep shaking like this. 
And, and then they would give him one last blow and he would just stand up and look at him. And he'd be breathing all hard. And then they would hit him again and he would just point at him. Y'all know the point I'm talking about. And then, listen, this, now this is where, it's like this happened every single time. Go back and YouTube it. Every match ended like this. So they would go to hit him and he would block it and hit him again. They would try to hit him, he would block it, hit him again. This happened three times, every time, right? <laughs> now he would, three times, after the third hit, right, like the trick, see, he was Baptist. I'm trying to tell somebody in there. <laughs> On the third time, he would, he would push him against the rope and then swing him to the other side. And y'all know what, what happened next? The big boot. The, he would hit him with the big boot, then he would come against the rope and the big leg drop. And it was over one, Two, three, every time. The reason we like stories like that is because that, 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 it reminds us of real life. See, some of y'all this morning came in here feeling like you were on the edge of defeat. But just because you're down doesn't mean you're out. That'll bring me to my first point this morning. I promise I'm going to get out your way. This is going to be quick. First and only point. God shows up in hopeless situations. Turn to your neighbor and say, God, he shows up in hopeless situations. Look, look with me at verse, at verse 15. Now, at this point, the, the, they had eaten, Adam and Eve had eaten from the fruit of the tree. God had placed them in the garden and had told them not to eat of the fruit of the tree. The serpent comes in and deceives them. And, uh, and we read what happened next, how uh, they began to blame shift each other. Adam said it was the woman. The woman said it was the serpent. And, and God begins to address the serpent in his deception. Uh, and in and, and, and verse 15, we get to a very, uh, a very beautiful a passage in the midst of this curse, in the midst of this dark time for creation and humanity. And he says this, he says, I will put enmity or hostility, that word hostility has, is war language. It's the, it's the, it's the type of passionate hate towards somebody that would cause you to, to go to war with them, to seek to destroy them, to kill them. It says, I'm, I put enmity or hostility between you and the woman, and, and not only just you and the woman, but between your offspring and her offspring. Now, what's interesting is that, that God doesn't tell us who that offspring is. Now, he gives us some indication about who this offspring is. We, we know a couple of things. We know that, that he, that it's gonna be a he, and that he will come from the woman. That, that, that he will come from the woman, and as we'll find out later on in verse 15, that he will experience pain due to the enemy's attack. And that's all we know. But, but one thing I love about scripture is that as we start off right here in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, and we get this promise of this offspring, this, this Messiah that will come, is scripture goes from very, very general about who this person is to very specific. So throughout the course of human history and, and, and Israel's history, he begins to reveal more specifically who this Messiah will be. 
And not only will he be uh, from the woman, and not only will he experience pain from the enemy's attack, but we find out from Genesis 12 and uh, 17, 21, 22, and Numbers 24 that he's going to come from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we see from Genesis 49 that he's going to come from the tribe of Judah, again, even more specific. And then we find out in 2 Samuel 7 and Isaiah 9 that he's going to be an heir to King David's throne. Isaiah chapter 7 lets us know that he's going to be born to a virgin. And then in Micah chapter 5, he's going to be born in the city of Bethlehem. Now, now what's great about this is this, these aren't the only prophetic passages that let us know that there's a Messiah coming, but what it does is it shows us that God goes from general to specific to give us an indication of who this offspring is going to be. Jump with me down to the second half of verse 15. It says, now now that we know that there's going to be an offspring and it's going to be a he, it says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel or you shall crush his heel. Now, this, this, this would be what the theologians call the proto-evangelium, the first evangelistic message of the gospel. It's important to note here uh, where the strike is coming from on both sides, because both the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the certain serpent are going to have an opportunity to strike or injure the other. Now, if you notice, the serpent strikes her offspring on the heel. Now, on the heel, that, that, that'll hurt a little bit. If you've played any sports, your Achilles tendon is right above the heel. And if you, if you tear your Achilles tendon, you're going to be out for a little while. And so, but, but the beautiful thing about that is, even though you may walk with a limp, and every time you put pressure on your foot, it's going to hurt, you haven't been defeated, you've only been harmed. Now, now, don't get this twisted because you aren't the offspring. The offspring is similar. But we can say and we can look at this passage and gain encouragement that even though the enemy may be able to harm you, you won't be defeated. Now, if we notice, it says that her offspring, whoever he is, will deal a severely deadly blow to the serpent's head. Now, a blow to the head is exponentially more severe than the blow to the heel. And if you need confirmation for that, all you've got to do is ask Glenn from Walking Dead. And he'll let you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's a spoiler alert. If you don't watch Walking Dead, forget I said that. I'm sorry, Vern, I had to do it, I'm sorry. What we see though is from this moment on, from this time in the garden throughout history, the enemy has now engaged himself in trying to thwart God's promised plan of this coming Messiah. And so in the background, he's been working throughout human history in the hearts of individuals and the collective hearts of people to try to throw God's plan off course. See, we see that in the life of Abraham and, and Sarah as they use Hagar to try to bring about the promise that God had said they would be in. And Hagar had Ishmael, but Ishmael was not the promised son. We see this in the life of the Israelites as God raises Joseph up as they're in Egypt. 
And then Pharaoh comes along and, 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 and his heart grows in fear towards this group of uh, people and he enslaves them. Now what does that mean? That means that they won't be in all, their own kingdom which means there will be no Davidic line if they don't have their own king. Again, the enemy trying to uh, circumvent God's plan of history. And then even when they become their own kingdom, the enemy begins to uh, get into the minds and hearts of the kings as they turn their hearts and the people's hearts away from God to serve idols. And, 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 and engage in sexual immorality, even though God told them not to do what they learned in Egypt and not to do what they'll see happening in Canaan, they begin to do those things anyway. And then even as God's people were exiled into another land, the hope of a promised savior coming is lost. And this people feels like they're on the edge of defeat. See, over human history, the enemy has used murder and greed and lust and pride, he's used selfish ambition and the love of money and sexual immorality in an attempt to defile the image of God so much in man that they began to look like him. See, if, if the enemy can get you to look like him, then he can disrupt the plan that God has for your life. See, he wants to convince you that life is, is too hard. He, he wants to convince you that, 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 that there's no way out of what you're going through. He wants to convince you that he's on your side. And even more than that, he wants to convince you that even God is against you. But I'm here to tell you this morning that not only does God show up in hopeless situations, but God is by your side. See, see how, how do we know that God is, is on our side? Because one faithful day a baby was born in Bethlehem. A baby was born to a virgin wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. See, 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 even then the enemy was still at work because he got into the heart of Herod and Herod was so afraid of being usurped of his authority that he sent out a mission and said, we're going to kill all the baby boys two years old and younger. And our Messiah at the age of between one and two had to flee for his life. And then through the Pharisees and Sadducees coming up against him, he had to wrestle constantly against the enemy's pursuits to get him off task. See, he was misunderstood by the people. The people wanted him to crown himself earlier as the Messiah, but it wasn't his mission. And then when we get to the cross, the enemy thought that he had him defeated. See, the enemy thought that the cross would win him the war against God. Uh, but it was the cross that brought his defeat. See, the, the very thing that the enemy thought he was going to use to circumvent God's promises and circumvent God's plan, the enemy didn't even know that he was setting himself up for ultimate defeat. How do I know that? I know that because Colossians chapter 2 tells me that at the resurrection, God took hold of the enemy's hand and paraded him around eternity just to let him know that what he did was actually lose the war for himself. My Bible says that God made a spectacle of the enemy. He threw the enemy a divorce party. Y'all ain't with me. 
I'm just going to say this and I'm done. No matter how bad it looks in your life, it's not over until God says it's over. When we come to this season of Advent, every time you think of this coming Messiah, and we talk of a baby wrapped in a manger, born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem, it should be a reminder to your soul that God shows up. And when God shows up, you have to remember that even though you may be harmed, you haven't been defeated. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful. We are so thankful this morning that even when it feels like we're pressed in on every side, when relationships haven't gone our way, no matter how much we've prayed for them to work out and nothing seems to be moving, even though money may seem a little tight right now and you thought you would have, we thought we would have had more saved in the bank. Maybe we thought we would have been married by this point and for some reason life just isn't turning out the way that we thought it would and we're beginning to question whether or not you love us. God, I pray that we would be reminded that you are on our side and that until it's over, it's not over. Help us to be reminded in our soul, God, that you show up. You do your best work when it seems like there's no way out. Help us, oh God, to stop relying on ourselves, to fix our own problems, but to step foot into the presence of God and approach the throne of grace and mercy with boldness, as your word says, that we might depend wholly on you and we might know that even though we might feel defeated, even though we might feel down, we're not out because you're on our side. Help that to be a reminder for somebody today, somebody that came in here that needs an encouragement, where the Christmas season isn't joyful to them because of what they've gone through or what they've lost, but that you might remind them this day that you are with them and you will uplift them and strengthen them because you love them. This we pray in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.